So I've got about whoa, 15 or 20 questions. Sounds good. And we will not get through them all. I never do because we just start talking. And if we want to go into a an aside or something, we talk about something that has nothing to do with what we're supposed to be talking about, I don't care. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. Cool. Instead of reading your bio, is it possible for you to just say a bio, a short one? Because I know I will sound stilted yeah. and I, I will take out <laughs> stuff that you want to have in there. Or it's like, what'd you take that out for? Because I'm not going to read the whole bio on your site. It's just... um. Uh, I th sometimes I, I feel it's better to have the de guests introduce themselves, if that's sure. okay. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so my self-introduction. Uh, my name is Morgan Knudsen. I've been a, in a parapsychology researcher for about 20 years, co-founded the program Teaching the Living, along with Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings in Alberta, Canada. My program, Teaching the Living, has been featured in post-secondary education programs, psychology programs, social work programs, um, and written two books, The Gift of Instinct, as well as Teaching the Living. And uh, I host co-host a podcast called Supernatural Circumstances. And uh, my primary goal in parapsychology, apart from the amazing things that it brings us, is to bring hope, empowerment, and uh, live experiences for people that want to come and learn and bring the academic side of parapsychology into a realm of uh, interest, fun, and entertaining education for people all over the world. So what you're trying to do kind of is normalize it so people can use it as a tool, it sounds like. Uh, partly that and partly, you know, giving people, giving people a way to relate to it. I think, you know, it's it, the, the problem with parapsychology that's, that's cropped up over the years is I think, I think not only has it become a bit of an old boys club, uh, <laughs> so a which, little, <laughs> a little bit. And, uh, but it's, it's also become uh, inaccessible to the layman yeah. where, I mean, uh, for the most part, what you get, you know, when you, when you really delve into the, the real stuff, not the, you know, television ghost hunter you know silliness yep. but the, the the real legitimate parapsychology is the fact that you've got all of this great and wonderful information and wonderful evidence and studies and they're all in piles of white papers nobody wants to read and <laughs> yeah. half the time the people that are presenting them although they are incredible and brilliant and they have amazing minds they have absolutely zero presentation skills or stage skills um to keep people interested in general. So my goal is with everything that I do is to try to bridge that gap for people so that people want to come in and, and learn and read and understand how it applies to them and, and how absolutely incredible it is because it's, it's applicable to everyday life, but it just, people seem to be missing that gap. And, and it's just in the way it's currently set up and presented. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's either what you said, white paper stuff or carny atmosphere. Uh, yeah, yeah, and there's no middle ground. You know, there's there's just no gray area right now. Yeah, I don't know anybody that does that besides you, really. I mean, I think Dean Radin makes makes an attempt, but he's def he's extremely an academic. That's what he is. That's where he comes from. But he's just good with people. 
Well, and you know, there's a few out there that that have. Lloyd Auerbach is another one. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Does who does a really great job? Um, and um, yeah, I just had uh, Dean Radin actually on my podcast. I know. Uh, yeah, this past week. I, I mean, he's just a fantastic, fantastic human being. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it, it's funny because there's there's this line where with because my 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 background has has largely been in in theater as well over the years. And mm-hmm. you know, one thing you learn when you're when you're putting on shows or presenting anything is that if if you can't catch people emotionally. They don't care. They yeah, they don't remember engage. What you say. Yeah, they don't remember what you say. They don't care. They're just like, you know, okay, you now sound like the teacher in Charlie Brown that's just wah, wah, wah. wah, wah. <laughs> you know, that's all you're going to get. all you're going to get. And and usually, you know, when people leave any presentation, the odds of them repeating back to you what they say are almost zero. But they will tell you about how it made them feel. Yes. And once you can, once people can understand that, then, you know, you have a, you have an in, in getting people's interest and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, I've done shows for everything from fan expos to, uh, you know, as a speaker at the parapsychological association, um, I've hosted tables for them. I've done, I did an arena show, uh, in Canada just this last year, um, in September that was focused around, uh, cryptozoology and the real life cryptids in our world and how it relates to film and TV, mm-hmm. um, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. And it is just, it's, it's a fun way for people to learn and engage and and be a part of it rather than you know trying to sift through a bunch of things they don't understand yeah i mean it, it's a bite-sized delicious piece you know i while you're saying this who i just thought of that's good at this is julia mossbridge yeah 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 she is she's great yeah yeah and brilliant yeah she is i've um talked to her and met with her a few times and it's she has this infectious um enthusiasm about things that she does Absolutely. And um, no matter what direction you're coming from, um, you can be excited about what she's saying at the time she's saying it. And yeah, like you said, she engages you emotionally with what's going on. So you remember what was said and what was important to her and what she was trying to communicate to you. Well, if anything, I mean, if you're not excited about it, other people won't be excited about it. Exactly. You know, it's just in the same right. If you go into, say, for example, a job interview, it's like if you're not if you're not excited about you, you're not going to get the job. Exactly. Like, you're not going to sell yourself and get the job. So it's sort of the same idea. I used to tell friends of mine that when in an interview, as I said, just psych yourself into thinking that this is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Yeah. Or you're the best thing that can ever happen to or them. Or that. Yeah, exactly. Is what I would say. Here's why, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. you need me instead yeah. of, in, instead of being like, well, you know, all oh, this is, you know, maybe this is going to be amazing. This is going to turn out well, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then they turn around and say, you don't get the job. Yeah. Well, then it becomes their loss. Right. So it, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it really is about just sort of psyching yourself up and, and realizing that like, if you, if you are passionate about it, you can't help but infect others with it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I've, I discovered that over a long time doing lectures that the more excited I was, the more animated, the more I would stop and say, you know, things like this reminds me of this thing that happened to me that yes. totally freaked me out at the time. And it's really relevant to what I'm saying right now, blah, blah, blah. And I noticed over time, the last lecture I gave, people actually were laughing and with me and all that. And it's there's an old um, interview with Woody Allen, of all people. And he was talking about being a stand-up comic in the 1960s. And he said, you can get up there and tell jokes all day. I, he said, when I started, all I thought I had to do was get up there and like I would write jokes. And I'd read them for my friends and it would crack them up. And then I'd go on stage and the audience would just be silent. And he said, so... The jokes really had nothing to do with it. He said they want the audience wants to be interested in you as a person. Yeah. And yep. if you can yeah. And if you can get that across to them, then it's just like you can almost spoon feed them anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean it sounds like that you do that really well. I watched a couple of your um lectures and you um you do engage. I mean it's I I I couldn't help but watch them and listen to them. Oh, uh, Susan Demeter, my friend. You know? Do you know her? Yes, I very. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. She is a. She's in the tarot group with me, and a really good friend of mine. She's. She said he she, that I should ask you about your great grandfather, Albert oh. Durant Watson. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, and so hello to Susan, if you're <laughs> if she's listening. Oh, she yeah, said she couldn't wait to hear it. So, yes. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. She's such a fantastic person. She's she's so supportive. So, yeah. Hi, Susan. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so my, my great great grandfather, he uh, he actually was the president of one of the first parapsychological associations in Canada. And, uh, you know, he he really had the, the same idea that I did, which is funny because I didn't know about him until far into my my career. Oh. Um, I've been doing this about 20 years and it was about six years into doing this that uh, I found out about his legacy. But it, w- it was interesting because, you know, I've always found, like I was st- stating at the beginning, that parapsychology really is about hope and empowerment and realizing that we are not just what everybody thinks we are. And it, it was interesting to me because uh, Albert really felt the same way. And and he was a, a very noted physician in Canada he uh, was was very famous, and his house is still a historical uh, property on in uh, Ontario and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was an astronomer and a poet, and he was all of, he was amazing. But yeah, he, he this really, is what people did then. Yeah, yeah. Po- well, and, polymaths were much more uh, common back back in the early 20th century, I think. They they were, but not necessarily in the world of physicians, because <laughs> his 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 academic career was you know, really put on the line with this stuff. Um, you know, a lot of the academics said, you know, the guy, oh, you're crazy. Like, why are you looking into, you know, mediumship and parapsychology and consciousness? Like, you know, scientists don't do that. Like, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, and he basically had said, well, you know, I'm, I, I published these, um, he published these two books on his experiences with a, a medium by the name of Lewis Benjamin and all the messages that had been, that he had transcribed and the messages that just the experiences that he had had were all just about hope and positivity and consciousness. And it was, it was so fantastic and so beyond its time, uh, that he put the books out anyway. And he, he caught a lot of flack from it. Like a lot of his colleagues, especially in doctors and and things like that, were just like, you know, what are you doing? You know, you're a doctor. Why are you doing this? Um, so it's, it was interesting for me to, to read back on his books early on because it's so much of what I do is very, very much intertwined with that same message that, you know, this, there is a, you know, this spooky, scary aspect, of course, to some of the things that go on with the paranormal, but that's not predominantly what it is. And if people can connect into this in a, in a way that's, that's beneficial, then your life really does change. And it's, it's amazing when you discover like the magic that you could really tap into as, as Dean Radin talks about. Yeah. He talks about it a lot in uh, real magic. I think yeah. he was trying to be you know, doing what we were just talking about. He was trying to be popularize some of these things he's found out. It's like, how does it at- apply to you? How does it apply to people in their daily lives? How could it improve your life? Yeah. And he's very much uh, an advocate of that right now. I was talking to a couple of friends in Toronto. Uh, well, uh, Susan and I were talking to a couple of friends in Toronto. And they mentioned the T.G. Hamilton case that most people in this country, in the U.S. and outside of Canada don't know about. Right. The one from Manitoba. Yep. Um, maybe you can describe the events and the and the stuff that went on there and you know what the legacy of that is. I know it was started as out as I think as a spiritualist thing because the physician another physician, his his son had died in the influenza epidemic. Interestingly enough, what that case to me had had really brought out and, and demonstrates and demonstrates uh, again and again within within Canada in general in terms of its relationship with parapsychology is the fact that so much of parapsychology in and of itself is just completely foreign to Canada. Um, and it's so interesting because no matter what you get into here, whether it be cryptozoology or parapsychology or whatever, um, the attitude here about it is so different than in the U S and other parts of the world. Um, it, and it's, it's interesting because the, so much of it is not, it's not openly talked about, you know, we don't have any paranormal conferences here apart from, I think one in, in the Maritimes. Um, yeah, Paul Kimball did it, I think. Well, yeah. Um, or, well, there was, there was one in, um, Liverpool too, put on by the, by the, um, parapsychological, I mean, sorry, the, um, ghost hunting people out there. Uh, yeah, like it's, it's, it's interesting with Canada because we don't have, yeah, we just, we just don't seem to have that, that outreach and, and all of these different, the cases, whether it be, you know, the Hamilton case or, or whatever the, you know, each one of them has a, has a sort of a reflection of that where everything's just not really, 
I, I don't know what that is. And I've had this conversation with other podcasters and I've talked about this on my show and, and stuff like that as well, where it just doesn't seem to be as, um, uh, an accepted topic. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so strange. Um, like even PhDs in parapsychology here are not recognized. So huh. yeah, it's, it's very odd. It's so anyway, Canada's kind of a, just a sort of remotely removed country from much of mm. what we're talking about, which is odd. Yeah, I um I have another friend Christopher Larson who is uh Canadian and very much into researching mainly the history of parapsychology. And his um his uh, doctoral thesis was on um poltergeist. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So he's he's uh, somebody I keep going back to personally because he he has fascinating, you know, ideas and and theories and um I mean he's the one that I learned about the uh, the Hamilton case from uh, Manitoba. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, I, I really didn't realize that about Canada. That That's so weird. It's like where the United States was with this attitude, maybe what, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we just haven't, haven't moved past it. Like I, I most of my, my, my shows, my listeners and whatever, if, if I'm known anywhere, it's the state. Um, but yeah, Canada, it's it's really odd. Like even uh, a friend of mine who hosts a, a show called Paranormal Roundtable, Josh Turner, he uh, has had a number of Canadian witnesses come on his show and immediately the first thing out of their mouth is, don't mention my name. Whatever you do, don't mention my name. Mm. Um, you know, can you disguise my voice? Can you, it's, it's really, it's so odd. Um, you know, and, and even here, if you approach like a lot of businesses and things like that and say, you know, uh, you know, I, I'd love to do a lecture here or show or something like that. It's, you know, it's a struggle. Like a lot of the hotels here, which are, are very well known to be, you know, haunted. There's, there's activity here that's very interesting and whatnot. And immediately you'll have the, either the staff or the managers be like, you know, please don't, you know, do not ask our staff about this. Don't talk about this. Um, we don't talk about it. Our staff has a gag order. Don't, you know, they're not allowed to say anything. Wow. It, it's, isn't that wild? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's very weird. It's way different than here where there are some hotels that put that oh, on a sign out totally. front to get people to come and use it. It's, it's yeah. good business for them. Well, and it, it should be, you know, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, the difference with with uh, I think the mentality of, of whether or not this should be celebrated or not. And and it should be celebrated. I mean, if if there's there's fantastic magical things happening in your establishment you should be celebrating it that's what, that's really what should be happening but yeah here it's it's very different so you kind of i even had this was a, a good number of years ago now probably about 10 years ago if not more um i was doing a series of workshops out of a uh, a, a building it was an old old school but it was being used for a, a charity and you know i had said to them i can you know we'll donate some of the profits of the, the workshop to the to the charity, so on and so forth. And I managed to get their, their charity actually on the front page of our newspaper here because everybody was like, Oh, you know, Morgan's doing this, this awesome workshop, blah, blah, blah. So we got this like big headline front page picture, everything and whatever. And they lost it. Like I got this call from them and they were like, you can't have this on the front page of the paper. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but you're going to get donations. Cause they were struggling for donations. Yeah. Um, like really, really struggling. And they were like, no, 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 you can't put this on the front. And it was like, even as it, a last ditch, they would not do it. Would not do it. It was, it was the craziest thing. And it so it's a mentality here that I don't understand. Um, it's, it's very strange because I'm, I'm very much like, I have the the American attitude towards this, which is this is this should be celebrated. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there should be education in this. There should be, you know, let's talk about this because it's about it, it doesn't come down to let's talk about a haunted place. It comes down to let's talk about us. Let's yeah. talk about consciousness. Let's talk about what happens to us after we pass away. And what you know, all of these things like it's asking such bigger questions. And the fact that oftentimes here people don't want to discuss it is not as I don't think that's healthy. No, it's not. And it brings me to that quote on your site. We are, we are that which no one can see. Exactly. Um, yeah. So if somebody was, you know, I think I know what you mean because you just said it, but what would you, you know, if somebody asked you, what do you mean by that? Um, what, you know, what, what could you bring up to tell them? Because, you know, we, we are more than, than our physical bodies. I think that would be the main thing, but how would you describe it? Yeah, I think the, the best thing that, that I can say is that not only are we more than our physical bodies, but we have yet to discover the power that 
we actually are. We've we're touching on it yeah. here. Oh, yeah, there. that was my other questions. Like, you know, this isn't very important. Why do you think it's important? That kind yeah. of a question. Yeah, and it's 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 important because how most of us live right now is not at full capacity. We are not living at full capacity. We just are are sort of getting along, feeling like. The, you know, the universe is just asserting incidents on us <laughs> and we are being, you know, victimized by the, the universe, yeah, yeah. The randomness of the universe and, you know, and by other people and we can't control what other, other people behave and we've got, no, you know, and, and we, we live in this sort of perpetual world of, of you know, well, <laughs> helplessness, poor me um, and, and whatnot. And the, the ownership that we have to have um, really begins in understanding our influence energetically on the world around us. What what are our thoughts creating? You know, our inner dialogue, what are those creating? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of these different things. So at the end of the day, it really comes back to, yes, you are what you cannot see. And you're, the, you're that person and that person and that person and you're that person's reaction and you're this incident mm-hmm. and, you know, you're that, you know, marriage and you're that car crash and you're that <laughs> you know yeah, exactly you're, and everything that came before and your genetics and all your interactions like you said and it, that people don't realize that and so yeah it, it looks like yeah. what you're trying to do with the parapsychology is open up people to those personae or whatever you want to call them that that make up you because you, well, you go ahead maybe i'm maybe i'm going off on the wrong tangent no i, I don't think you are but I, I think people are you know i think as i say people people think that that we have no ownership in anything that goes on around us and when you start to get into this stuff and you realize the fact that the the stuff that's happening around you is you have a say in it you have part and part and parcel with the thoughts you think the emotions you bring into the world Everything that's going on around you is related to you. you the probabilities that you are receiving and that you are are you know collapsing and therefore that and then experiencing mm-hmm. actually really does have something to do with how you are moving through the world. Yeah. Collapsing, and, and, you mean the 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 the, the, the probability collapsing the exactly uh, yeah. what's it, I can't remember Co- collapsing the the wave state into something that's actually existing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see, uh, you know, how, how many people resist this idea and, uh, and talking about Dean Rainey talks about this in real magic as well, where he was getting serious backlash, even from the academic community, when he began to publish results about exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And they said, they literally had said to him, you, we are going to do everything in our power, prevent you from airing this information and airing this knowledge. And so here we are, people that Such are- Such an old story. I mean, that's- Crazy. That's it's been crazy. going on for the entire, well, you know what? Parapsychology went into decline after I think the 1920s, I, I believe. And since then, it seems like that attitude, and it's for anything that's just not accepted by science yet, and the materialism of it, there's nothing wrong with it, but it almost seems like um, almost a a religious, uh, a religious crusade. Yeah, well, it's it's scientism, you know, Yeah, scientism, it's scientism. And so you've got a bunch of, you know, a bunch of people, I think that are, are really, really clinging to the idea that that consciousness is ultimately something that is, if it's, if it's generated from the brain, then we have less responsibility in what's going on around us. And I think it it freaks people right out to think that, you know, we are moving through the world, creating the reality that's in front of us because it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's a transactional universe, not a, not a, not a uh, cause and effect one. Yeah, and it's it's hard to own that when stuff that's going on around you sucks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's really it's not my fault. Everything sucks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like... It, yeah. And it has nothing to do with fault. No. It, it has it, to do with, yeah, like you said, accepting right. it. The thing I was yeah. thinking about when you said that was that old parable of the guy that jumps in it, the Chinese parable of the guy that jumps in the raging river and somebody says, oh, he killed himself. And then he just swims out the other side and the, the priest, whoever runs over, goes, what did... How did you keep from drowning? He said, I just let the water, I worked with the water and, and accepted it as it was. And it, I didn't have any problem. Yeah. 
yeah. that that's that's a metaphor that comes to my mind when you say it when the last few minutes while you were talking about this. Well, and it, it's a great metaphor because we know even statistically in parapsychology that people that have or predominantly have more para, parapsychological paranormal experiences are the ones that are going with the flow. They're the ones that aren't putting resistance in the stream. And it's people who are... Or extreme belief, actually. Extreme belief, but letting go. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because I I wrote a chapter in, in this about, in The Gift of Instinct, about letting go. Because so many times people, especially people who want to have an experience of some sort that have lost a loved one or something like that, will immediately start you know, looking for the experience and they look and they look and they look and they're clinging so tightly to the idea that, you know, I've just, I've got to have this visitation. I've got to have this visitation. And then all of a sudden, you know, cousin Joe Blow, who knew your, you know, dead aunt for five minutes gets a visitation and they can't figure it out. And they're like, why (laughs) is it like, I was so close with this aunt and I've been looking for this and then, you know, I'm not, you know, she must just hate me. And what's interesting is that with what emotion is like a wall. Yeah, and what this, or the desire? Not, I'm, I mean, yeah. Well, you're you're now. It's it's not even so much the desire, but it's the 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 clinging, the clinging to. And as soon as you are looking for something, you are very aware that it's not there. And because we we create our experiences and we put out what we get or get back what we put out, as soon as you are looking for it, you are acutely aware that you don't have it. Mm-hmm. And so the people who have the experience, you know, the you know, Joe Blow cousin who knew the ant for five minutes, they don't care one way or the other if they get a visitation or not. They have, they have no no state of expectation. They're more likely to be in a state of allowing about it. So all of a sudden they get that experience. And as soon as that other person that, you know, that that niece or whoever it is gives up and says, well, I guess it just won't happen for me. I'm just going to let this go. All of a sudden, oh my God, I, you know, I got this visitation from, from so-and-so because they've just, they've let it go and, and let it in. And, and the universe is like that. You know, as soon as we start, you know, clinging to something and we, you know, we've got our fists clenched in it, we're suddenly not going downstream. And as soon as we're not going downstream and following that river, you know, you're, you're just going to swim until you're, you die tired. You're never going to get to the other side. I was thinking also um, Susan's husband, Massimo, um, when he does his work on plasmas, he goes to sites like Hestalin and a few other places, and he said, and this not just him, a lot of people say the same thing, and I'm sure this has happened to you and people you know, as soon as they turn the equipment off, that's when stuff happens. <laughs> I've actually, I've got a funny story about that. Years ago, uh, my 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 business partner and best friend uh, when she was still alive we were in a old historical home and this was god this had to have been upwards of 20 years ago mm-hmm. and uh, we were in this old historical home and the activity there is usually really good it's really phenomenal it was a really fun place to go and uh, i remember the one night there had been nothing going on all evening and we uh, we hadn't really captured anything on camera or anything like that and we were packing up to leave and we had just packed up like the last of the cameras and I joked to Steph we were standing in the front entryway I said you know I said it's it'll be our luck you know I said we're gonna pack this last camera up and there's something's gonna happen Mm -hmm. and I literally had that out of my mouth and it was two to three seconds later (laughs) there was a uh an old replica of the old tin can phones that the kids used to make with a string attached these two tin cans that were sitting on a a a side table beside the front door flew off the side table and landed probably five feet across the, the other side of the room and there was probably about, I don't know, six of us standing in the living room watching <laughs> this thing fly across the room. And I mean, Steph and I just burst out laughing because we were just like, this is this is exactly like this, this right here. Did everybody and, look at it when it happened like they knew to look at that pl- at that point? Did you see the entire thing? Uh, well, I saw the entire thing because I was facing the table. Okay. Um, but everybody else was kind of in different places around the room and, and the movement caught everyone's attention because right. we were all basically just standing there with our, our coats on and, and whatnot. And the, just the, the sudden movement caught our attention and we watched this thing go. And it is a Steph and I, I will, I'll never, ever forget that because it was, it was su- such a great point and hysterically funny when, when it happened. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a typical story too. Yeah. Oh Yeah. 
I was writing uh, for Weird California, this book that came out about, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I was allowed to, I went to the Whaley House in San Diego. Cool. Um, and I grew up in San Diego, so I'd knew, known about it for a while. Anyway, I went in and I told them what I was doing. And as an aside, the person tending the door, they said, I said, how much stuff have you guys seen? They said, like, all the time. And then the, there was a woman. She said, do you want to see the logbook? And I said, yes, yes, I do. And she brought out three huge logbooks. Every page had something on it. Wow. Every single page. So I walked through the place, nothing happened, whatever. And then at the end of the day, they said, if you want, you can go upstairs into the theater area, which is what it's called now. I guess it used to be a dance room or something or, you know, kind of a, a place where they had parties. And you can just go up there and hang out while we close up. So I went up there and I just sat sort of at a doorway at a, you know, because I thought if I sat at a, um, a, um, a transitional spot, a liminal space, whatever you want to call it, it might make things happen. So I just kind of sat there and waited. Nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. I hear people downstairs. And I thought, okay, that's it. I got to get up because they, they want me to leave now. As soon as I got up, I got a huge blast of lavender perfume smell. Oh, wow. When I gave up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The power of giving up. It's it's funny how how powerful it it really really is mm -hmm. um it's it's amazing because as soon as you let go you stop you stop the resistance in in what's trying to happen and it's funny because you know we we see it time and again even in uh in remote viewing experiments we see it in right. uh psychokinetic experiments all sorts of i mean you can go back through the history and and you know immediately one of the first things that people will tell you is you know get into a meditative state let go figure a way to you know whatever it is for you um oftentimes in uh, you know a lot of uh, remote viewing or gansfeld tests or anything like that they mm -hmm. you know they are listening to uh uh, waves, um, like white noise, ocean sounds, um, yeah. things like that. You look at the Monroe Institute is the first thing they do is like, okay, we got to get you meditating. Like here's, yeah. here's what we're going to do. <laughs> so it's like, it's that letting go that really is the, the key factor. And the, the people that can't are, as Dean Radin always puts it, you know, no magic for you. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, you know, that, that's really it. And, and it's, so it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, oftentimes you, like I'll, I'll watch these shows or, you know, whatever. And you've got people out there that are just, they're trying and trying and trying. Well, nothing ever happens for me. And well, that's a manifestation too. You know, if you, if you really yeah, don't there's believe a negative anything's going to happen as well too. Yeah. If you don't believe anything's going to happen, well, guess what? You're going to manifest that. Like that's, that's the power of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, I, as you say that I was thinking, it's no surprise that Joe McMonigal married, um, uh, uh, Robert Monroe's daughter, and he's very totally. much involved with uh, the the Monroe Institute. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, as you say these things, this theme we've had for like it, it leads into another question about you know about giving up. So if that's the case, how do you research it? I mean, what kind of do you have to use this a, a weird kind of oblique approach? I know Bar Mark Bocuzzi talks about this a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ra rather than a, you know. It would be more fruitful rather than this materialistic cause and effect transmission sender receiver approach thing. Well, yeah, Mark's got an interesting. He's he's been trying to solve this problem. <laughs> I know. I I actually talked to him for the first time about a month ago for about an hour, and we talked about a lot of this stuff because I I really respect what he's trying to do with this. Oh, he's amazing. Both him and Julie are they're good friends of mine, and um, I mean, I think they're absolutely brilliant. And he was mm -hmm. listening that doesn't know the Winbridge uh, Research Institute. Please look it up. Yes. They um. Mark is is so so brilliant. Sometimes he talks on another level when it comes to artificial intelligence and and the stuff that he ends up creating. But and he's 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 got an artist brain, a creative oh, brain, and that yeah, that I think that's absolutely along. essential. Dean Radin does too, actually. Yeah, yeah, and that's me me as well. And I think you have to in in this stuff because if you can't think outside the box, you're never gonna you're never gonna get through parapsychology. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I think. What's what's interesting about Mark's work with AI and trying to eliminate that that sort of human factor, that human <laughs> manifestational factor, where you know we're just influencing the the uh, results of these experiments over and over and over again. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to really get around that as much as I think it helps to understand ourselves. 
Um, and when we look at ourselves and what we're creating through these experiments, maybe we can start to learn a little bit more about human consciousness that way. Um, but it's, it's a really difficult thing because, you know, it, it's funny. I was doing these workshops, for example, uh, this past fall and we had my, my colleague, uh, Terry Lynn Blake and I, we were taking people out to this, this wooded, uh, acreage and we had these, these people at coming out and experiencing some really amazing stuff because this acreage is absolutely phenomenal. It's got so many, this plethora of activity mm-hmm. and, uh, was so interesting because I noticed that some of the people who had like been watching the television shows and things like that, who kind of fall into the, the, the whole, Oh, K two meters, you know, c- communicate with ghosts kind of yeah. category. Yeah. Um, you know, I some just of went them, on one of those. I, I told you about it. So right. Yes. And, uh, it was kind of annoying. I sat in the corner of the room and I tried to work up a really strong emotion to see if I could be an antenna for something, but it didn't work. Yeah, it, well, it was funny watching this because I noticed that they would sit there and th- there was a, a group of them at one point that had a K2 meter mm-hmm. and they started to to use it in that way. Even though in the beginning I had told them right at the like right at the start of the workshop, here's what K2 like, here's what EMF meters actually do. Yep. This is not this is not a ghost hunting. <laughs> yeah. But you know whatever. But anyway, so it was in their head that that's what this was. So that's fine. And they they were very, they were very cause and effect thing. Yeah. Very much so. And what was interesting and what's fascinating about this acreage, I might add, is that there are no electromagnetic fields out in this these woods like there is there shouldn't be anything going right. on um there's no nothing underground no high wires nothing so anyway um one of the anomalies about this piece of property is the fact there's these sort of floating electromagnetic pockets that are at this point unexplainable and it was interesting because the group had this k2 meter and they're talking and they started asking questions as most of people do mm-hmm. um they started asking questions and the k2 meter began to respond it like uh, in almost validating their own story about what they expected the answer to be and i th- what i was telling terry lynn later is i think what we were watching was psychokinesis we were yep. watching these people because their focus was so strong they were influencing the lights on this meter back and forth back and forth and of course they thought they were talking to something like ethereal um but it was so fascinating for me to watch just as a human experiment uh because th- their focus was so intense that this was going to be you know they were going to have this conversation anyway it was really interesting kind of a side story but it was yeah it was it was it was interesting to watch funny you talked you mentioned that i had that experience with paul kimball in liverpool nova scotia at one of these conferences he you know led kind of a ghost hunt or whatever at, at this old museum and in the middle of it he had a rem pod out those little things that right. know, they, mm-hmm. they they register changes in pressure and electromagnetic fields and temperature I think that's what it is. And um, I'm still not sure what they are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why I said, I think I know. that's what they do. But we were sitting in this room and we started just to mess around. We started asking questions because we saw the blue light come on, which means it's getting colder. It, it senses changes in temperature. If it's getting colder, it gets blue. If it's getting warmer, it gets red. Yeah. A- a- LED. And we started jokingly asking it questions, uh, uh, pretending it was our, our deceased friend, Mac Tony's. And the and then and the light, which should only just come on momentarily when when the when the temperature's going up or down, would blink in response to our questions, and it kept doing it. And so I said, "Turn it off, let it reset, and turn it back on. Maybe there's something wrong with it." It started right up again, doing the same thing. Not funny. Yeah, and then we took it upstairs into this attic area, and this was summer, so it was warm in the building. And we put it on top, as a joke, we put it on top of a dress form, a mannequin that they had in the museum. And our friend Mac was like f- fascinated with mannequins for some reason. I guess he had a mannequin fetish. Anyway, <laughs> it, it really, actually, we put the REM pod on top of the, uh, the, the cutoff neck part of the dress form, and the blue light went on in a hot attic. Not funny. And we took it off, and the blue light went off. This is on video. Shows him putting it on, like, we took it off and on, and I said, shut it off again and reset it. Turn it on, same thing happened. So 
I didn't think about this, but the way you described it is not because you're communicating with the dead. You're communicating with your own expectations. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it happens more often than what we really understand, especially when we've got a group of people that they're, like, their emotions are heightened. They're already you know, hyper-aware, hyper-focused. And, you know, and and, because I mean, sometimes like the answers to the questions, they come back, they don't even make any sense, you know, but Mm -hmm. they fit the narrative of what the people, the story the people are trying to, you know, are telling themselves. Yeah, sounds like Uh, the Philip experiment in in miniature, you know. Exactly. And it's it's so, yeah, I find it really interesting. So I I found it time and again, people were, um, people were were doing this group after group. And, uh, yeah, it was just fun to watch. And I, I never, you know, corrected them or anything because they were just so enthralled with the <laughs> the whole thing. But I thought, because, and I knew. No, like, leave them alone. Cool stuff exactly. might happen, you know. <laughs> exactly, right? And it's, and and the, the neat thing about this, this particular property that we were using for the workshops is that it was, it, I mean, it's got enough activity to sink a ship anyway. Um, you know, so it was funny because you had these people that were, you know, so enthusiastic about their own responses. And then, you know, but all of this other stuff was happening that had nothing to do with them. It was like actual other stuff going on, but you know, here they were all hunkered around the, the, the K2, but it was, it was really cool. And, uh, as I say, a really neat, really neat experiment into, yeah, just, just what we are actually able to create in our world. It's like, it's a neat, to me, it's like the neatest thing. Mm Mm-hmm. When you talked about these, the, the, the um, I will just describe, because you'll say things and these images come into my mind, and I want to see what you think of it. When you talked about these anomalous um, electromagnetic fields in this place that's not supposed to have them, my model, at least the, the intuitive one that came up, was that is whatever is in that realm that is really us or whatever you were talking about earlier, poking into our realm in a way that makes some sort of weird sense to us. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I mean, my guess is as good as yours as to as to what's causing it, especially in this particular area, because the land itself had been completely untouched, undeveloped, everything mm-hmm. until uh, she had she and her husband actually built their house there. But they so they know exactly what's under the ground and what isn't. And it, it's it's so interesting with this place because you'll be, yeah, maybe be walking. Maybe there's areas, you know, like Skinwalker Ranch or the Bell exactly. Witch or whatever. Go ahead. Yeah. And and ultimately, I mean, this property and Skinwalker Ranch have a lot of parallels to mm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another property in Wisconsin um, that I've been fr- uh, talking with the investigator there about as well, who has very similar occurrences. Um, everything from parapsychological parapsychological events happening to weird cryptid sightings to all sorts of bizarre yeah. stuff. There's one in Northern uh, Ontario too that I know about. Yeah. There's, there, there, there's sort of these pockets all over, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm sure they're in Europe and, and whatnot as well, but definitely, um, you know, U S and Canada. And, um, this is just one of those, one of those places. And I, I kind of wonder whether, yeah, if, if, you know, we're seeing, I, I don't know whether we're seeing, uh, you know, maybe, interdimensional things, you know, opening up and then closing. I don't know whether we're seeing, um, you know, we're picking up on, uh, I mean, I mean, if, if our electromagnetic field meters are picking up on it, these ones specifically are calibrated to uh, like electromagnetics, like electricity. So for example, you or I wouldn't trigger it, even though we have electromagnetic field, Mm -hmm. but a fridge would trigger it. Right. Right. So these particular meters are, you know, they're obviously picking up on some sort of an electrical current that is, you know, non or it's like non-organic. But but as I say, where they're coming from, I don't know whether it's, as I say, picking on something else that's, I don't know, like dipping in and out or I don't know. It's it's, yeah. it's cool. I was reminded as we're talking about this, the language and the concepts and the instruments are used. I think they're not designed to encounter whatever it is that's being studied on its own level. And I don't think we can encounter it on its own level. We can only do it as at look at, looking at it as metaphor or as a, you know, an effect of something that we don't, you know, we, we can't, we don't have access to at least in a way that we can describe. Um, yeah. And it reminds me when I interviewed, I interviewed Dean Radin when his first book came out, I traveled out to Las Vegas and met with him in a, in a restaurant Cool. And he said a lot of this stuff, a lot of the language and the instruments he uses or was using and is still using to look at this stuff is he said it was like using a sledgehammer to kill a fly. Totally. <laughs> totally. 
Do you think this has changed at all, or is it is, we still no. have the same problem? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's. I think it's, our paradigm has to change too, or the way we think yeah. that reality works before this stuff can start to change, or the way we look at it. Completely, and and I think that that you just hit the nail on the head with it right there. I mean, we're using tools that are built for other things to try to measure something that we don't understand. And, you know, as much as people want to say, oh, I have a ghost box and I have the bolt. No, you don't. You've, you know, there's, there's a lot of gimmicky stuff out there that people are selling, trying to say, you know, this is for this or that or whatever. But we, we have no idea what this energy is. We can't calibrate a meter to measure something. We don't know what it is. <laughs> um, so you could, so it's like, no, you don't have these things, but it's, it's funny because, you know, when you're, when you're delving into this stuff and and this is what i've found especially over this one property that i was just talking about is that you know you we're kind of using everything we can that we have available within our limited understanding of the world to try to get a glimpse into this other piece that i mean we we've got such a minute part of you know it's almost like the the old adage of you know the elephant where mm-hmm. one person's looking at the trunk and the other person's looking at the ear and the other person's looking at the tail and trying yeah, to Yeah and we don't even know it's an elephant i mean there's we have no concept of what that thing is <laughs> Yeah literally no clue and and that's what i found like with this this property we've had some some really interesting uh cryptid experiences on this property and it, it's made me really realize just how little i know about anything um and it's so yeah i mean the more gear we get and and whatnot at the end of the day i think until we have a better understanding of of uh you know consciousness and i don't know maybe even another universe i i have no idea but you know all we can kind of do is just sort of (laughs) flip-flop along and hope we get something right every once in a while yeah well all these things are metaphors and people don't people mistake the the metaphor for something real a metaphor is a lot different than you know banging a nail in with a hammer um oh absolutely and it's you have to realize i think people have to realize and at least that's the the feeling i get is that everything to do with parapsychology and even other things too even cryptozoology and ufology and all they're metaphors because we don't know what's on the other side of that. No, and we're using we're using the best information that we have around us to describe something that is is so almost in yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, it was funny on supernatural circumstances. We were talking with uh, uh, Dr. Lynn McNeil, who's a folklorist, mm-hmm. and we we were talking about the Jersey Devil of all things, and mm-hmm. we were going back and forth about this and and whatnot and. I, th- I believe it was her that she said, um, you know, it's it's interesting because people just use the things that are around us to describe, to best describe what they're seeing. Yeah. And so, for example, when we turn around and say, well, you know, say I use the example of like Bigfoot. Well, you know, I saw a gorilla on two legs and people are like, there's no gorillas on two legs. What are you talking about? And it's like, no, no, no. They're not saying there's a gorilla on two legs. Yeah. They said that the best analogy that they can give right. about what they saw looked like this. And we the, the way it came up was that the Jersey Devil was um, originally des- or described way back in the day as a as a dragon looks like a dragon yeah with a horse head and all that stuff yeah and and you know and so people were like oh you know that silly dragons don't exist yeah but somewhere in the translation of the first nation language that was originally there Mm. the best translation that was available was the word dragon yeah so you know it's it's, so it's stuff like that and so people are using our limited physical reality to try to describe something that that they that we're we're just completely out of touch with for you know for the most part and i think human humanity is just we're doing the best we can at, and i think we'll continue to do the best we can you know as long as we avoid people who are are you know not trying to throw cinder blocks in the way of of research and as long as we're avoiding those particular individuals then it will make our way for, you know, what whatever we're ready to understand and experience, we'll receive and understand and experience. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's just the fun is in the journey. Yeah, most definitely. I kind of said that to people about it's like, well, when are we going to get an answer? It's like, if you're looking for an answer, you're not going to get one. However, no. you may get a personal answer, which will be very important to you. Yeah, and you'll get the you'll get the answer that you're ready to receive. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the other part of the picture of the 
the greater universe is the fact that we we can only receive what we are able to receive and believe because as we know with manifestation in many of these situations if you don't believe it you can't receive it you will not experience it so and that's the same thing with information if you cannot receive it you will not it will not be put in front of you. Um, so that's the other part with this is, you know, well, how, how far can we stretch our, our, our brains and our, our beliefs to, to get the information that we need that, that this is going to make sense to us. And I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's good that, you know, what we have is limited. I mean, are our brains capable of even dealing with that size of information? I, I don't know, probably not. Uh, <laughs> well, we're designed to, you know, if you think about Donald Hoffman's work, we're designed to survive. We're yeah. not designed to, you know, we're desi- designed to survive and reproduce. That's it. And so all of our senses are subservient to that. So everything that is seen or experienced is things that are important to you and either help or hurt your survival. And if that, that doesn't fall into those categories, it tends to fall off to the side. Um, so it's just uh, like you said, I mean, it's, if, if, you, if, it's, if you're there to receive, to see it, you see it. And the thing is, we're not seeing, see if you agree with this, we're not seeing or what somebody tells you they remembered in a paranormal experience or a UFO sighting or whatever, is not that experience. It's their memory of it. And yeah. their memory of it was formed within a split second after it happened. Yeah. So, you know, and then people say, well, there's pictures. It's like, well, there's pictures of something, but who knows if that picture is what the person saw? Because as soon as they see that picture, all their memories are now going to conform to what that picture is because it's proof for them. Yeah. You know, and so uh, I don't know, I, there, there's that like, there's that gap there between what a thing is or what the event was and our memory of it, because we all we have is our memory of it. Yeah. And I mean, and ex- what it comes down to, I think, is experience is your reality. You know, mm-hmm. I, people can walk through the world and have a completely different experience, have, have the same experiences that another person has that, you know, you could walk through the world with an identical experience to somebody else and both people would come away saying it was different. Um, right. you know, so our perception is our reality and, and that's when it comes back as we go sort of full circle with this whole conversation is that, uh, you know, if, if our perception, how, what we're telling ourselves, you know, what we're open to, how we're rewriting things in our head, all of these things, if you know, we have to make the decision whether or not is this, is this going, is this serving me or is it not? Mm-hmm. And you know, you kind of are, because our perception is our reality, you kind of have to decide what your perception is going to be. Um, you know, what is it that you are looking to experience? What is it? What is the dominant predominant feeling you want as you're walking through this world? Do you want it to be a negative universe that is out to get you? Or do you want it to be a positive, good place? Um, and when you make those types of decisions, stuff will start to reflect that, you know, is the paranormal something that I want to experience? No. Well, then you're, you know, make that decision. You're probably not going to experience much. Um, but if it's something that you want to experience, make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, it all, it all again comes back to, you know, what is it that that we want? How does this, this world of parapsychology shape, um, the, the, the environment through which we walk and when we realize that we have that say in it, then all of a sudden, it, I think things change on a on a massive, massive level in terms of what we're experiencing, how we're experiencing it. It, it was funny. So here's a funny, funny story about about this. Mm-hmm. So one of the areas of research that I've been looking into quite frequently here, because we've got quite a, a lot of encounters and things like that reported here in Alberta is the dogman phenomena. Yeah. And there's lots here in Alberta. Hmm. And um, what's been so interesting about that is that is people's interpretation of what they've experienced. So when people will turn around and say, you know, it's evil, it's terrible. You know, I was terrified. You know, all of this happened. No doubt they're just these evil things. And yet when they repeat the story back, the story is all centered around how terrified they were. So everything that they witnessed became a threat. Yes. No one has ever been injured. And no one, there's never been a fight. There's never been an injury. There's been nothing. And it reminded me back to years ago. I have this, I have a wonderful little python named Galen. And I had a. Susan uh, wanted me to ask about, about Galen. <laughs> Galen, he is the sweetest little boy. And he's he's 18 years old. He's never wow. bitten a soul. Yeah. And just the, the kindest, kindest heart you're ever going to meet. And I remember I had over a, 
a friend at the time and she was sitting on the couch. Alan was just, he was sitting on my lap, just listening to the conversation and he was kind of getting sleepy and he yawned and my, uh, my friend that was sitting on the other side of the couch freaked out because in her head, she saw a snake with an open mouth that was looking at her and you know, that thing's going to bite me, <laughs> lost it. And I looked at her and I'm like, he's sleepy. And, but her filter, the yeah. filter, when she saw this, you know, and Galen, he's just like looking around, like, what is going on? Like, yeah. oh my God, oh my God. Am I what did I do? I was just yawning. <laughs> yeah. He, he's looking around going like, what is there to be afraid of what's going on? Yeah. And, you know, and I found this too with, with let's say with the dogman encounters where people were going, you know, oh my God, this happened and this happened. And I was terrified. And it's just like, yeah, but the filter in which you, in, through which you have moved into this experience has created meaning in mm-hmm. things that are that that was not there um and so it was yeah it was very very interesting so and i and i think again as i say it comes back to what we've been talking about which is you know what are we telling ourselves about the world and uh yeah it's the, more transactional than people would would like to believe a lot of people anyway totally uh, totally and i mean and as a side note all my experiences here with the same phenomenon have been absolutely wonderful so, but again, I'm going at it with a, with a different attitude and energy. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you said an hour, you have provided an hour and, um, I mean, I, we could probably talk for another couple hours. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this. Morgan. Oh, me too. This has been wonderful. Um, and the, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to, uh, like give out your website, your books again, you know, teaching the living and gift of instinct, anything else? Uh, sure. If people are interested in, in finding me or booking one of my shows, um, I am available for travel. <laughs> uh, and you can go to entityseeker.ca and all the links will be there. Uh, the books are available there. Uh, there's tons of uh, YouTube interviews, information, classes, um, all sorts of stuff available there. And as well as a link to my podcast, Supernatural Circumstances with Mike Brown, which you can download from any podcasting platform, including uh, iHeartRadio and Audible. Wow, I got to look into that for mine. I'm just on Apple. I got to start pushing through <laughs> through to Spotify and all these other platforms. Well, thank you so much. Um, and the other thing I that I didn't tell you about is the guest gets to pick the music that's at the end of the show. Oh, that's so exciting. What kind of music do I get to pick from? Whatever you like. I'll just Whatever look I'm... it up. I'll just look it up and put it on the end. Oh, I, well, I do this with geez. everybody. Um, and I get all kinds of, you know, the whole spectrum of, of music I get. It's stuff that I wouldn't even normally listen to. And I've discovered great music by asking guests what they want to hear or what they want to have at the end of their uh, interview. Oh, that is so cool. You know, you know the, the group that I would recommend that... I, I think well, I think everybody could could use a, a dose of them. It's a it's a group of composers um, that varies depending on the the album, uh, but they're called Audio Machine. And Audio Machine is they they absolutely create some of the most spectacular music. Um, they they've recorded for movie trailers and cinemas and you know all theater all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I think anything by Audio Machine that you want to pick would be would be fitting. Okay, I'll look through and see what I like, and I'll put one of those at the end. And thank you again. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. 